Great, great, great. In case we haven't got the chance to meet, my name is Tellus Fuller. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm really, really looking forward to sharing this Sunday with you guys. As we get into the series, we're going to be in Luke chapter 12. And as you turn there, I was thinking about just uh, this moment of worship that we just had. And all I could think is the hall of faith. Remember the story or the passage in Hebrews where we get this idea and this picture that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who are encouraging us to keep on running our race faithfully unto Jesus. And as we were singing this last song, He's Able, all I could picture is interviewing all of those people in the hall of faith and looking at Moses and being like, man, what do I do? And Moses looking down at me and be like, I have a testimony that I want to share with you. He's able. I imagine Mary Magdalene, who we'd look at her and say, man, my life is struggling. I'm not sure how I'm going to go on. And Mary Magdalene looks at me and says, I want to share a testimony with you about what he did for me. He's able. I imagine Hannah as she was praying for a child and she didn't know if it was going to come. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon her and she has Samuel. And then she testifies to us, he's able. I'm even reminded at the grave. And when he goes to the grave and he looks at the grave and then the grave even now has to testify about the reality that he's able. I imagine sin where he looks at sin and takes sin on the cross for us so that we could be children of God. And sin's testimony now is he's able. And I don't know what you need to know about your situation But I feel like the Spirit of God is reinforcing that idea in our service today that He is in fact able. We are starting a new series today uh, that I'm really looking forward to. Has anyone enjoyed the last series we came out of, I Fear God? Even though that series is over, we don't believe that that series has stopped. That we believe that God is still forming inside of us a people, a church, a bride who reverently fears God. And that's something that's going to be formed in us throughout the rest of our lives as a church, the rest of our lives as families and as individuals. And today we get to start a new series that I'm really looking forward to. We're going to be in Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 31. And if you would, would you stand with me in the reading of the word of God? The reason why we stand together is this is the way, the physical way that we honor the word of God as the primary authority over our lives and over this church. And it says in Luke chapter 12, verse 22 through 31. And he said to his disciples, therefore, Jesus says, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barns, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And of Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, 
Oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried, for the nations of the world seek after these things. And your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. What I want to title this message and what we're titling this series is Money Talks. Money Talks. Would you pray with me for a little bit? Lord Jesus, you are absolutely the object of all of our attention. And you are the prize of this church. There is nobody else who we look at and look to. (laughs) And you're here. Oh, minister to us. (laughs) Give us ears to hear you. Because you are talking. Lord, if you're not glorified in any other place, would you be glorified in this place? And Lord, if you were not glorified in any other heart, Would you be glorified in this heart? Father, we love you so much. And more importantly, you love us. Holy Spirit, empower us to live, look, and love more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Money Talks. Money Talks. That's the name of the series that we're going to be in for the next few weeks. And the reason we titled the series Money Talks is because, yeah, we are about to talk about money. It's not that too creative, but we're about to talk about money. And it's this idea that, yeah, we're about to talk about money, but also money talks. Sometimes we have this idea that like, if people have more money, they have more to say. That we ought to listen to people who have more money. And if you have a lot of money, maybe that means you have power, you have influence, you have some savvy, you have a secret, you're good at investing, you have something I don't have. And the amount of money that you have actually says something to me. And yes, the reality is we're going to talk about money and the reality that money does talk. But the reason why we're calling it money talks is because even though money talks, money also lies. And if we allow money to be the primary and loudest void in our lives, we will go wherever it tells us to go. And just because something talks does not mean that we ought to listen to it. Did you know that money is actually the single biggest, greatest, or the single most talked about topic that Jesus talks about in all of the Gospels? Jesus talks about money more than he talks about heaven or hell. That's how much Jesus talks about money. And Jesus, when he talks about money, he's not even saying that money is inherently good or that money is inherently bad. No, the overwhelming sense that scripture gives us when it talks about money is that money is powerful. And anything that is powerful has the ability to be dangerous. So the overwhelming idea of scripture is not that money is good or not that money is bad inherently, but it is dangerously powerful. 
And according to Jesus, money is also tied to your heart. So in this series, we could call it a money series or we could call it a heart series. Either one works. Because money and your heart, according to Jesus, are connected. There are a lot of warnings that we get in this context of scripture about a lot of what Jesus is talking about. He, Luke chapter 11 and 12 goes into this moment where he's warning his, his disciples, his followers about a lot of different things. He's warning them about the Pharisees, saying, beware of the Pharisees. If you remember a few weeks ago in our I Fear God series, Jesus, this is the point after which Jesus says, hey, don't worry and don't be afraid of man who can kill your body. You should fear me. This is that same context. It's right after that. So he's saying, beware of the Pharisees. He's saying, beware of the fear of man. He's saying, beware of laying up treasure on earth. And then Jesus comes to say this, and he's saying, uh, uh, this teaching comes right after this teaching of the parable of the rich Fool, a man who didn't see money as God saw money. And then Jesus has this really important point where I think it's important for us to hear. It says, and then Jesus turns to his disciples and says. So there's a crowd around him. And then Jesus all of a sudden turns to his disciples and speaks the text that we just read. Which tells me that Jesus is not giving this to everybody in the crowd. He's giving it to the people who follow him. So in the same way, if you are not a follower of Jesus here in this room today or watching online, this is not for you. Now you can get a glimpse into how Jesus sees money. And I welcome you and we welcome you and I'm so happy that you're here. And please feel under no obligation to give. Because Jesus is talking about his disciples in this text. He's talking to them. So if you are a follower of Jesus, if this is your church, then Jesus is talking to you. Don't be anxious. Don't worry about money. And then Jesus gives us what to do with our money. You see, he says don't be anxious because Jesus is revealing what we all know to be true, which is we are all obsessed with money. And Jesus does not just reveal it in order to just talk about it. Jesus always reveals something in order to heal something. You ever have somebody who just like critiques something but doesn't give you any solution on how to fix it? Isn't that the worst like, it's the easiest thing in the world to be a critic and to point out somebody's flaws or something that's wrong in an organization or that something is bad or it shouldn't be that way. Anybody can do that. But that's not what Jesus does here. He's not just criticizing how we treat money. Jesus is, in fact, confronting how we treat money. But Jesus always confronts us in order to change us. And in changing us, he comforts us. Be sure that Jesus is revealing things, but he is revealing things in order to heal things. It, it's really interesting how the whole scriptures talk about money because money is, uh, you see God sometimes bless people with a lot of money, which is fine. And then sometimes you see God tell people who have a lot of money to give it all away. And then you see Jesus say, if you have a lot of money, 
it's really hard for you to get into the kingdom of God. And he also says that if money affects your worth, you ought to get rid of all of it. And he also says that everybody should give away a lot of their money. And you ought to give a lot of your money to God. It's like he talks about it in such an interesting way. And here's the reality. All of this comes together and it does not mean that God needs your dollar. That is not what the scriptures teach. He is in need of nothing or else he would not be God. He does not need your dollar. What the scriptures do teach is that you need to know if he has your dollar. He doesn't need it. You need to know if he has it. Because if you are in control of your money, then that means that God is not. Your heart and your money, they're tied in in the Bible. And if God doesn't have your money, the scriptures teach that is a sign to beware of that he might not have your heart. Because the scriptures say where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart is so important in our lives and in the scriptures. And most of the time, your heart leads you places. But this is one interesting place in the scriptures where your heart actually follows something else. This text teaches us your, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. It says your heart follows your treasure. Your treasure does not follow your heart. If you want to know where your heart is, the scriptures teach, look where your money is. And God has always been and will always be first and foremost after your heart. And if all of this is making you anxious, if you're just saying, man, like, I, I don't like this idea, I don't like talking about money, like my history with money hasn't been good, or my family history hasn't been good, or I don't really trust churches with money, or this just feels a bit manipulative. Here, listen, we are not here to make you feel anxious about money. We just read a text where Jesus affirms don't be anxious about money. So it would seem very disingenuine for me to preach in a way that makes you anxious about something Jesus told you not to be anxious about. I want us to take a breath and think that the God who created you created society and culture and business and money and knows how we ought to interact with all of those things and might just maybe have a better way of handling your money than you do. I might just be crazy enough to think that some of us could leave this place less anxious about our money. He's interested in your heart. One area where we are most anxious about money is in the tithe. That's where most of us kind of get our anxiety and our worry from. And if you look at money, I believe the lie that money tells us, according to the tithe, is simply this. I can be better to me than God can be to me. Therefore, I don't tithe. Because I can be better with 100% of my money than God can be to me with 10% of my money. Therefore, I don't tithe. Pastor AJ taught about the tithe last week a bit in Abraham 
in Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14. So if you haven't heard that, I encourage you to go listen back to that message last week and get some context. That is the origins of the tithe. The tithe simply just means 10%. Now, the tithe is where we find Abraham giving to Melchizedek, and it's fleshed out in uh, the Old Testament under Moses and the law. It was that 10% that was supposed to be given to the temple and to support the Levites as they were ministering unto God. And the tithe is not less than giving giving to the church, and the tithe is certainly more than giving to the church. We'll get into more of that a little bit later. But what research shows is that with the tithe, it is, to be honest, a very embarrassing amount of Christians who actually tithe weekly. And that informs me and it makes me ask the question, why don't we tithe? And the reason why I think, I don't think that we don't tithe because we don't want to honor God. I don't think that's the case. I think most of us want to honor God. The reason why I think we don't tithe is because we think God lets us choose how we honor him with our money. It's not that you don't want to honor God. It's that you think you're allowed to choose how you honor God. Therefore, you don't tithe. You say, well, no, I, I give my money to this and, and I do that. Well, listen, that's fine. The scriptures teach us, if you're a follower of Jesus, remember I'm talking to disciples, if you're a follower of Jesus, the scriptures teach you how you are to honor God with your money. I'm not good at caring for plants at all. Every time I get a plant, I inevitably kill that plant. And I don't know, well, I think I do know why now after some introspection. <laughs> but what happens is like I would get a plant gifted to me or maybe and I have a plant. And for a little bit, I would care for it really, really well. And then like a few days would go by and I would stop caring for it so well. And then all of a sudden I would come back to the plant. I'd remember the plant and I'd just like water it like crazy. And I'd just like throw it out in the sun and be like, come back alive. And that was like my hope to revive this plant. And I'd never actually considered that plants are different and different plants need different type of care. So I would get a succulent and I would just drown that thing thinking like, yeah, it's a plant. So it needs water, obviously. And what happens is I would end up killing that plant. Why? Because I didn't actually care for the plant the way the plant needed to be cared for. I believe some of us just simply treat God like I treat plants. It's not that we don't care for the plant. It's that we care for the plant the way that we think the plant needs to be cared for. You, you ever um, love somebody and they don't receive your love? Like, like you love somebody, but in a way that you would want to be loved, not in a way that they would want to be loved. And then like your relationship doesn't connect and then you're frustrated because you're like, I'm loving you. And they're like, no, you're not. And you're like, but I am though. And, and what is it? It's that you aren't loving them the way that they need to be loved. You're loving them the way that you want to love them. And that's the way that some of us think about the tithe. Is that I love God, but you're not loving God the way that God tells you to love God. I don't think it's because we don't honor him. I think it's because we think we have the option to choose how we honor him. When the scriptures don't give us that, the scriptures tell us how to honor God and we honor him with the tithe. Jesus says, don't worry. 
And the reason why I think Jesus says, don't worry, is because worry is always about control. Always. When we are worried, it's because we feel out of control. And we think, if I get more control, then I won't be worried. And Jesus says, don't worry about money. Why? Because we think if we get more money, we're going to be in control. That's the idea. That's the allure of money. That's the lie that money tells us is I can be better to me than God can be to me. If I'm fully in control, then I can be better than God can be to me. See, money is dangerous because it makes us think that we are in control. And many different idols give you the idea of control. I would say probably most every idol gives you the idea of control. But money is unique in an idol form because money gives you the illusion of control. If you have money, you actually think you're in control. Like, like you think, if I have money, I can probably manage any bad thing that comes my way. Like, I can probably figure it out. Some of us genuinely, we get encouraged by looking at our bank accounts. And that makes me feel in control. And therefore, we put that as the ultimate goal of our lives. And, and this isn't just with people who have a lot of money. This is with people who don't have a lot of money. Because if you don't have a lot of money, you still use money as control. to say, well, if I just had more money, then I would be fine. Money is not a respecter of persons. Whether you have a lot of it or a little of it, Jesus says, if you're worried about it, you don't have it, it has you. It doesn't matter how much you have. It means if you're anxious about it, if you think this will solve my problems and I can control and manage my life as long as I have more or enough money, then you do not have money, friend. But money does have you. Isn't it silly that we commit ourselves to things that cannot commit themselves to us? You know what I mean? Like, some of us genuinely commit our entire lives to money when money has never not once committed itself. Has money ever committed itself to you? <laughs> ever? Has it ever thanked you one time? Has it ever cared for you? Has it ever just said, you know what? You need more of me. I'm going to multiply myself for you. Has money ever done anything for you? No, it can't. It does not have the ability to care for you. It cannot commit itself to you. But it's so silly that we commit ourselves to it. We spend our entire lives trying to do it. Money doesn't care who has it. It will leave you in a second. It doesn't love you. And yet, we spend so much of our lives pursuing that and only that. I mean, you, you, let's put it relationally. Have you ever met somebody, you know somebody who commits themselves to somebody who obviously isn't committing themselves to them? We look and it breaks our heart. We're saying, no, please, like, please don't do that. But then when we commit ourselves to money, and I'm saying this lovingly, I'm not trying to call you out. When we commit ourselves to money, we celebrate that. It cannot commit itself to you. And it promises to make you non-anxious. And all it can do is make you more anxious. We ought to, there's a better commitment. 
And that commitment is committing ourselves to Jesus. And when we commit ourselves to Jesus, I believe that it takes away the power that money has over us and the worry and the anxiety and thinking that money will be the thing that solves all of your problems. I think sometimes the reason, though, we don't commit ourselves to God is because we have an outcome-based obedience. I will obey as long as I get blessed at the end of it. Depending on the outcome will determine whether I obey. And if the outcome is not as good as I think that it should be, I can be better to me than God can be to me. And we have this outcome, it's what I've almost called like a, like a, like a we use obedience like a boomerang. Okay, God, I'm going to obey as long as you bless me. It comes right back around. God, okay, I'm going to give as long as you give me a lot more. I'm going to be faithful as long as you bring me a better job. And we start being obedient just so that we can get a blessing. And I love you. I love you. When you obey, when you obey just to get blessed, that is not obedience, friend. That is manipulation. And we ought not manipulate God. We cannot manipulate God, and we ought not to. There is a better way than an outcome-based obedience where we give to God so that I will be blessed. And he wants to bless you. Like this, guys, this is the craziest thing that God wants to bless you for doing the thing you should already be doing. He is so good that he wants to give you good things for doing what you should already do. There are places in the scriptures where God actually uh, blesses obedience. You look at um, places where uh, uh, the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother so that your days will be long in the land. You should already honor your father and mother, but God wants to bless you when you do it. You look in John 15 when Jesus is talking, he says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. You already should abide in God, and yet if you do it, he says, I'm going to make you more fruitful than you could ever dream. One of our favorites is in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. It says this, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Listen to this, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. That's a blessing. That is a blessing. God is saying, do what you should already be doing, and I'll bless you beyond your wildest dreams. God is so good that he actually does want to bless you. But the context of this chapter, I think, gives us so much more good news. Why? Because this in Malachi 
He's a prophet prophesying to Israel. And this is the era, if you know the scriptures, of Ezra and Nehemiah. They have come back after the exile in Babylon. And now they're back rebuilding the temple and they're trying to be faithful unto Yahweh. But the issue is that they're not being faithful unto Yahweh, specifically relationally, spiritually, socially, and even financially. And so God comes to them. He says, man, I'm going to bless you. I want to be with you. And you see these portraits in, in Malachi where it's like, Yahweh says something, Israel responds, and the Israel responds, and Yahweh's like, I want to bless you. And Israel's like, uh, no, you don't. And Yahweh's like, no, I'm here. Watch, this is going to happen. And they're like, God, when have you ever done that? When are you really like this? It's this crazy back and forth between Israel and Yahweh. And he says, I'm going to come, and I'm going to bring a Messiah. He's going to fulfill everything that I've said, and I'm going to refine you as silver is refined. And this beautiful picture that says, um, when a refiner refines silver, what they do is they heat it up. And you heat it up until all of the impurities in the silver rise to the top. And then you scrape off the impurities. And do you know how a refiner knows when silver is refined? Is they look into the silver once all the dirt is out and they can see their own reflection. As if to say, Yahweh, when he refines you, he knows when you're refined when somebody looks at you and all they see is him. And it's this beautiful text in verse 6, and it goes into this portion where he says, because I am faithful and I do not change, you are not consumed. And he says, if you would return to me, then I would return to you. And you might be asking yourself, Pastor, like, what does that have to do with money? Listen, this context is all about repentance. That's Malachi, Malachi 3 specifically. It's about repentance. And the way that Israel is called, one of the ways Israel is called to repent is with the tithe. All of the sudden, God says, if you would just do what you already should have done, I would bless you beyond your wildest dreams. It's this picture that Yahweh takes Israel's failure in their finances. He puts them here. He sets an altar on top of it and then says, love me there. He takes Israel's failure, puts an altar on top of it and says, love me there. You know why that's good news? Because if you have been unfaithful with your finances to God, guess what he says to you? Give me your failure. I'm going to build an altar on top of it. Now love me there. And then what he does is he says, and watch me love you back. That's the good news of Malachi. It's not just God wants to make you rich. No. God wants to make you rich, but in your soul. He wants to bless you, but in your spirit. He says, if you would repent, I would bless you beyond your wildest dreams. What this does is that this takes an outcome-based obedience, turns it around, and makes all of your giving about love. 
It fights back against the idea that I can be better to me than God can be to me. Therefore, I'm going to do with my money what I want to do. Therefore, I'm not going to tithe because unless the blessing is worth the obedience, I'm not going to do it. No, Malachi teaches it's about love. And he says, I will love you way better than you could ever love me. With the tithe, I want to encourage you to resist the urge that you are just merely giving to church. I want you to resist the urge to think that you are just giving to a nonprofit or an organization. Because that's not what you're, at least that's not what the scriptures say that you're doing. The tithe is so much more beautiful than that. The tithe is actually us giving unto Yahweh himself. How do we know that? You look in Malachi 3, God literally uses the language when they don't bring the tithe. He says, you're robbing me. He doesn't say you're robbing the church. He didn't say you're robbing the temple. He said, you're robbing me. He says, test me. There's this, this is the only place in scripture, the only place in scripture where God tells his people, test me. See if I won't do it. Be obedient with the tithe and see that I won't actually be more faithful to you and bless you. He says, test me. He didn't say test the church. He didn't say test your pastors. He didn't say test the generosity of others. He says, test me. So if this is actually not just unto the church, but it's unto God, then this is the reality. You might be physically giving to the church, but you are spiritually and actually giving to God himself. That means... Your tithe or your lack of it does not expose your relationship to the church. It exposes your relationship to God. And we think. (laughs) He said one more time. (laughs) If we aren't tithing, that lack of tithe, I love you, it does not expose your relationship to the church. It exposes your relationship to Yahweh himself. He's saying, give unto me. And that means actually, literally, practically, you are giving unto God. I um, was raised in a Christian home and my parents taught me to tithe my entire life. And so every time I got any kind of money, whether it was I did anything around the house and they decided to bless, I didn't get any type of allowance. But let's say they gave me like any type of like blessing or whatever, I would, get, uh, would be taught to tie that. Or if I had a job, I would tie that. Or if I got my first full-time job, I would tie that. And my parents always taught me, you give the first fruits of your income. That means you don't give once what's left over. Whatever you get, as soon as you get it, 10% immediately goes to God. They taught me. They didn't command me. They didn't make me. They taught me that the tithe is first and foremost, 10% at least unto God himself, no questions asked, which taught me it, it really trained me to trust God. I trusted him with my money, whether it was a little bit or whether it was a lot. And, and it was this really practical and real reality that I don't decide if I tithe. It has been decided. I have tithed every single time I got money since I was a kid. Every time. 
And the scriptures teach that for the rest of my life, I joyfully get to give at least 10% of my money to God. Which means out of all of the money that I will ever make in my life, at least 10% has already been decided going first and foremost to God. That's what my parents taught me. That's what the scriptures taught my parents. And we go by the scriptures and it trains us to actually now be faithful unto him. And have you ever, you, you, if you've been in church a while, you remember hearing those testimonies where um, somebody would be like, man, I've been faithfully giving and, I, and I've been offering. I've given above and beyond the tithe and God has been doing so much. But to be honest, like I, I, I don't have money for rent. Like I, 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 my car just broke down. I don't have a car anymore and whatever. And then all of a the sudden, like they get a check in the mail for like $2,907.13. And they're like, that's exactly what I needed. It's double what I needed. He gave me double for my trouble. That has never happened to me. Over 20 years of giving, it's never happened to me, ever. And it's this idea that's like, that's great. And I hope that happens to you. Like, God bless you if that happens to you. Great. I, what is this? Is it the cross? God bless you if that happens to you. I love it. That has never happened to me. God has never done that type of miracle in my bank account. But I will tell you that God absolutely has done a miracle in my heart. That God has trained me over the course of long obedience in the same direction, this reality that this is not my money. And he has done a work in my heart that says, Lord, it is not a decision whether I tithe. The tithe, God, that is first and foremost unto you. I'm not going to adjust or negotiate with 10%. I'm not going to adjust or negotiate whether I do it every paycheck. I'm not going to adjust or negotiate whether you're good or not. You are good. Therefore, I have decided. Jesus says, don't worry, as I close. He says, don't worry. If you look at this text, which we can't read again, but Jesus repeats himself in different ways. He says, consider the birds, consider the lilies, consider the nations. And then he says, you're more valuable than the birds. You're more valuable than the lilies. And he says, how much more valuable, how much more valuable, how much more valuable. And he keeps on repeating this refrain that draws our attention. But the interesting thing is that he says, consider the birds, God takes care of them. Consider the flowers, God takes care of them. And then he says, but you, your father takes care of you. You notice that? I believe that Jesus is simply saying that the reason why we are anxious about money is more a relational problem than anything else. He's saying, the birds, they aren't made in the image of God. And I provide for them. How much more will I provide for you? I am their God. I am their creator. But I am not the bird's father. Since the flowers, how much more valuable are you than them? Yet I provide for them. I am their God. I am their creator. But I am not their father. 
He says, consider the nations who worshiped all these other gods. He says, they worry about those things. I am their God, but I am not their father. But you, I am your father. Jesus presents the idea that the reason why you are anxious about money is because you are looking for money to be what only a father can be. And what are parents supposed to do if not provide and protect? And how many of us expect money to do what? Provide and protect. And Jesus is saying, if you knew that he was your father, like really knew, not just that he was some God in the sky, but if you really knew that he was your father, a good, good father that we sang about this morning, you wouldn't be anxious about money because you know why? The flowers, they're not anxious and he's their God. The birds, they're not anxious and he's their God. The nations, they are anxious and he's their God. You have a father. And a father always takes care of his children. Did you know that you are never not once called an adult of God? <laughs> Bible doesn't call you that. You are never described as an adult of God. You are only and ever described as children of God. You never mature enough in your Christianity and following Jesus where God says, congratulations, now you're an adult. You know why that's important? The reason why it's important that you never become an adult of God is because a child is always dependent on their parents and a good parent always supplies for their children. And so if you wanted to be an adult of God, you would forfeit God's care for you. And he says, so little flock, so children, you have a father who cares for all of these things who are not made in the image of God, but you have a father. And when we are anxious and worry about money, what we do to our, being worried about money orphans us from God, our father. So, Jesus says, do not be like the pagans, the nations. Do not be like the flowers, and do not be like the birds. Instead, be like children. Because, verse 32, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Birds get food. Lilies get clothes. Nations get food and drink. Children of God get the kingdom. So don't worry about money. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we love you. And God, you, you, you don't let a bird go hungry and we are much more valuable than birds help us see ourselves as children 